Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Oncology Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Quill. Today's episode features Dr. Jyothi Patel from the Northwestern University Robert H. Lurie Comprehensive Cancer Center and Dr. Devaker Devar from the University of Pittsburgh Hillman Cancer Center. They are excited to talk with us about TIGIT as part of the immune checkpoint pathway and the potential role that inhibition of the TIGIT pathway can play in the treatment of solid tumors. This episode is part of a larger educational program titled Novel Immunotherapy Approaches Targeting TIGIT, Updates and Perspectives for the Oncology Care Team. For more information on the experts, along with a link to the complete program, including a text module with a downloadable slide set and expert commentaries, please visit the show notes for this episode. In addition, we will have another podcast with further discussion on TIGIT inhibitors coming soon. Now let's get started and hear what the experts have to say. Hi, my name is Jyoti Patel. I'm a professor of medicine at Lori Cancer Center of Northwestern University, and I'm a thoracic oncologist. And I'm delighted to be here um, to talk about TIGIT as really an emerging target in clinical research across a number of cancers, and really thrilled to have my colleague and friend, Dr. Thavar, uh, join me for this discussion. Thank you very much for having me on this. My name is uh, Devakar Devar. I'm a medical oncologist and drug developer. Uh, I specialize in melanoma and phase one therapeutics, and I'm based at the Hillman Cancer Center at the University of Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And thank you very much, Dr. Patel, for the very kind introduction. Fantastic. So here we're going to talk about um, TIGIT, and certainly we expect the data surrounding some of these agents to really increase significantly this year. You know, suffice it to say, I think this is a target that is attractive in multiple, I think, settings for us. We know immune checkpoint inhibitors blocking CTLA-4 or PD-1 and PDL one have dramatically altered our approach to all stages of, of multiple cancers, such as even lung cancer with a recent approval in the neoadjuvant setting. There are durable anti-tumor benefits to the patients that respond to them. But unfortunately, these agents are effective in a small-ish number of patients. So across all tumor types, we'd probably say about 20 to 25% of patients really reap these benefits. So sort of looking at the landscape, we think about other checkpoint molecules and combinations of immunotherapies that can really fill this gap to provide I think broader therapeutic coverage, one of the more promising targets of checkpoint inhibitors that is in now phase three trials is TIGIT. So TIGIT stands for T-cell immunoreceptor with immunoglobulin in ITIM domains. We've learned a lot from foundational science in the past few years about really the different redundant pathways in immunotherapy and how targeting one may not be sufficient. And so, Dr. Thavar, do you want to talk a little bit about how the TIGIT pathway really functions and why this is such an important target for us? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, you know, developing on what you talked about, which is PD-1 and CTLA-4, I think it is useful to think about these as foundational molecules in our understanding of the science, primarily because TIGIT is actually a little different from those two. So, what we know about 
you know, PD-1 is that PD-1 essentially is an interaction between PD ligand 1 on the surface of the tumor cell or APC and PD-1, which is a receptor on T cells. And what it does is it engages a negative feedback loop that essentially suppresses uh, tumor antigen-specific T cells and thereby mediates tumor-mediated immune suppression. CTLA-4 is a little interesting because it's a little different from that uh, in that the B7 CD28 interaction represents a foundational signal of antigen-specific uh, T cell recognition by the TCRs. And what CD28 does and, B, and, and CTLA-4 uh, does is that both CTLA-4 and CD28 compete for B7 interaction. And so where PD-1 is involved in T cell uh, engagement from a distal perspective, uh, CTLA-4 is involved in T cell engagement from the very, very initial priming perspective. But Gigit's a very, very different molecule from either of those two agents, because what Gigit does is it actually has a very, very complex receptor ligand interaction. So really, Tigit is part of a very complicated family of receptors. It's really these Tigit CD226, uh, CD96, CD112 receptor axes. And they're basically four receptors, Tigit, CD112, CD226, and uh, CD96, and also several different ligands, in this case, CD112 and CD155. And essentially, Tigit is a negative receptor, in that sense, it's somewhat analogous to both PD-1 and CTLA-4. And uh, compared to, say, CD2 to 6, which is a quote-unquote positive receptor, but it's very interesting because each of these receptors, negative and positive, actually compete for the same set of ligands. And each of these ligands is a different level of, of receptor-ligand interaction that determines at the level of each individual cell and the immune synapse which interaction ultimately dominates. And that relationship has really come to determine a lot of the fund, uh, foundational biology behind kind of, for example, which line of therapy Tijin might most be efficacious in, you know, early line versus late line, and also which particular cell subsets are important for Tijin biomarker and Tijin pharmacodynamic activity evaluation, that is the T cell or the NK cell subsets versus other cells. That's fantastic. And along with TIGIT, I think, you know, there are some other co-inhibitory receptors that we really think of this as sort of next generation of um, targets, right? So certainly LAG3, TIM3, I think are members of this group of inhibitors that we can use. But as you say, I think, you know, the uniqueness is that these are non-redundant. And so it really gives us different interplays perhaps when in the setting of T-cell exhaustion or at the time of, of relapse on a PD-1 inhibitor, that these could really be efficacious. So I think the other piece that's interesting is also that TIGIT is on multiple immune cell types, right? I mean, you talked a little bit about that. So certainly we think about Tregs that tend to be more immunosuppressive. TIGIT also suppresses CD8 T-cells, like you said as well as NK. And so again, it's a, it's a much, I think, broader pathway. What do you think about the role of, of targeting TIGIT in the treatment of some of these solid tumors? So that's a great question because it sets up the, the context of TIGIT biology, right? So for example, you know, when you think of some of the initial work that established the role of TIGIT as an important player in the development of cancer immunotherapeutics, you know, we really have to go back to 2015 and these kind of two seminal back-to-back -back papers in JCI, first from Anna Anderson's group 
at Harvard and the second from our group at the University of Pittsburgh. So these two competing papers uh, that were presented in 2015 essentially clearly demonstrated that digit expression was associated with T-cell dysfunction. Really, digit appeared to mark most dysfunctional CD8 T-cells and uh, preclinically, digit blockade was sufficient and synergized with PD-1 blockade in rescue, uh, rescuing antigen-specific T-cells. But in the Anna Anderson paper, what is really very interesting is that they were able to show that Tijet also marked the most suppressive FOXP3-positive T-Rex. And so really, in, in work that was subsequently published in actually more recently in 2018, what we then saw is this evolution that beyond just CD8 T-cells, Tijet also marked the most suppressive FOXP3-positive CD4-positive T-Rex patient population. And the, the key point about this in terms of drug development has been to decide whether or not one therefore wants to create a molecule that is going to deplete negative cells, that is therefore an FC active molecule, the primary purpose of which is to engage ADCC, or an FC inactive molecule, the primary purpose of which is to not engage ADCC, but rather compete with ligand for binding interaction. And this is really played out in, in other checkpoints. So for example, with CTLA-4, ipilimumab is a canonical molecule that has IgG1 intact activity. Whereas most PD-1 inhibitors, actually IgG4 backbone and therefore FC inactive. And really this sets up, uh, was evaluated in a really elegant paper preclinically that was published in Cancer Cell in 2018, where they clearly showed that the activity of both Tijet, but actually interestingly enough CTLA-4 as well, but Tijet and CTLA-4 was actually dependent upon the FC structure. And what it really did was that the FC active Tijet moieties actually encourage the formation of a more effective immune synapse and complemented antigen recognition by T-cells and thereby in CD8 T-cell activity. This has then led to a plethora of digit molecules and digit programs, some of which are uh, FC active. So the agent that I think we're going to be discussing, which is uh, teraglumab or Tera for short, along with many other FC active agents, but also several other agents that actually are in development uh, with either FC inactive structures or undisclosed FC structures. So with that, uh, I think it'd be important to maybe consider, you know, from what you've seen in the context of the teragulumac program, which is really the most in interesting FC active digit that is currently in latest in development, uh, what do you think about the early data from the uh, Cityscape program regarding how this is? primes our, our, our idea of what it means to be an effective digit inhibitor at the current time point. So certainly, you know, the, the cityscape program with Tara in lung cancer and in non-small cell lung cancer, and we first saw early data from a randomized um, frontline study, a randomized phase two frontline set study that was presented by Dr. Melissa Johnson in 2020. And in that study, Patients who were EGFR and ALK wild type um, and had PDL1 of a tumor proportion score of at least 1% were randomized to either Tira and atezolizumab or atezolizumab. And in patients receiving both drugs, had a higher response rate. This effect was most marked by the approximately 40% of patients who had PDL1 scores over 50%. So the difference in response rate with two drugs over one drug was um, threefold higher. And when we look at progression-free survival, we can say the same, that in the high pdl one expressors, these patients had a, a much better outcome. 
you know, I think the the challenge in interpreting a study like this that's gotten a lot of press is that it was a small study. It was about 130 patients. The comparator arm of Atiza alone probably underperformed a little bit. So certainly we are looking for confirmation. And so we anticipate that we'll have um, the randomized phase three trial soon, and that's ongoing, that will give us further confirmation. TIRA is also being explored in the small cell setting, and uh, that program is ongoing, and hopefully we'll have some results again in the next couple of months. I think the real challenge for us is because we have so many immunotherapies that are they can be effective in lung cancers, really, where does this sit? So we know that in patients who have high PDL one that those patients are preferentially treated with pembrolizumab unless they have sort of critical disease burden or are very symptomatic. And now with the combination of um, ipinevo, so PD-1 and CTLA-4, we have an option for patients who, that is non-chemotherapy for those with lower PDL one scores. Great. So, Dr. Patel, um, following on from what you know what was just discussed, you know we've got exciting data from Cityscape suggesting that this this agent is definitely additive to checkpoint inhibitor monotherapy in the inflamed uh, NSCLC patient population, and that has therefore uh, resulted in skyscraper one, which is this uh, potentially registrational phase three study. More than six hundred patients, basically randomized, double blinded. Placebo control trial of teraglumab plus a tezo versus a tezo placebo in patients with PDL1 high non small cell lung cancer. So, I guess the first question for you is if this trial were to be positive, how practice changing would be, particularly given the comparative data from now, more recently, Checkmate 9LA and so on and so forth? So, if this is positive, would this change what you do in PDL1 high non small cell lung cancer? That's a great question, and I think you really hit the clinical conundrum on the head. So for those patients right now, we would treat with pembrolizumab monotherapy and anticipate that about half of patients really have benefit, right? So about a 45% response rate based on keynote studies. And those that do have great survival, you know, nice survival, and we anticipate that they'll have good disease control for some time. The questions that sort of I'll pose when I look at the data, one, is there increased toxicity? So what are we seeing in terms of discontinuations and IRAEs with combination therapy, if it is positive? And how much of a burden is that? Sort of what's the dose density in the phase three population? We know that CTLA-4 in conjunction with PD-1 inhibition with Pembro in a high population didn't add as much as we'd hoped. And so I think it really is, are, are we seeing survival benefit that's worth, worth the excess toxicity? Thank you very much for that answer. Now, um, along those lines, one of the interesting things about Tijet is that, you know, one consideration is that it might therefore be really focused on the inflamed patient subpopulation, so the proportion of patients with PDL1 high tumors, we certainly saw that with the phase two uh, cityscape data. And so, as you think about this in terms of lines of therapy, what do we know about the PDL1 distribution in earlier lines of therapy, such as neoadjuvant and adjuvant disease? And is there the possibility that drugs are going to get approved in the neoadjuvant and adjuvant settings that are not necessarily that effective in the 
second, and particularly later lines of therapy? And how does that uh, affect thinking in the lung cancer community? So certainly we've seen a rapid change in the neoadjuvant and adjuvant settings in just in the past year with Checkmate 816 and Empower 010, in which we now have an approval for neoadjuvant therapy that leads to much higher path complete responses. And we hear event-free survival. We have to see the data still. And then Empower, which improves um, a a year of ATISA with almost a third of people having to discontinue therapy, but still a significant improvement in disease-free survival. So it may be that in the neoadjuvant setting um, that particular drugs, as as you mentioned, maybe PD-1 inhibitors are especially exciting when the, the antigen is intact. Maybe in the adjuvant setting that we're really looking for uh, T-cell mobilization, that it may be that drugs like Tigit are more important. Certainly, we also know in chemo, after chemoradiation that there could be changes in the tumor microenvironment. And so in the stage three setting, I think we wait to see some of the trials uh, that, that have started um, with Tigit in this space. I wonder if if we really think about chemo-free options, if we also think about a much longer pathway. So is it that someone gets single-agent pembrolizumab and after response, then we add Tigit to it when it's no longer working? Or again, will we have better biomarkers in which we can really discern between inflamed and sort of cold tumors um, at a more granular level to really direct clinical care? So I think the really exciting thing about TIGIT is right now the real focus of these programs, uh, primarily in the lung cancer space, primarily, I think, because of the foundational advantage enjoyed by Draglumab and the need to, therefore, try to you know buttress this data by competing agents with other spaces. AB154 has a trial in advanced uh, non-small cell lung cancer that is uh, also, I think, potentially Registration, I think it's the it's a randomized phase three of Durva plus AB154 in the stage three setting. So that's Pacific 8. And then the ARC uh, 7 trial, which is a very, very large phase two of AB154 plus Zimbalumab, which is the PD-1 inhibitor. And then in combination also with the A2AR receptor antagonist AB928 in frontline uh, PD-L1 positive uh, non-small cell lung cancer. But outside of this, I think the real development is really with very early phase studies of multiple agents in the space. The um, ribostilumab digit inhibitor recently uh, had some very uh, exciting data uh, across all PDL1 uh, status patients re- uh, relative to historic controls. And uh, this was in, in, in non small cell lung cancer. And this is therefore then now pivoted to uh, two late stage studies in non small cell lung cancer. Firstly, phase, a phase three study of MK7684 Vibo uh, compared to PD1 monotherapy and PDL1 high lung cancer, and then also a three arm phase two study in patients that are pre treated in combination with docetaxel and Pembro versus docetaxel versus docetaxel monotherapy. So I think, yeah, a lot of data that we expect to see uh, from uh, these studies in the uh, next phase of uh, development, especially over the next one to two years. Great. Thanks so much. This is certainly a space that is rapidly changing, um, and it's kind of exciting that we have multiple compounds in the same pathway to really understand from each of those trials. 
But certainly our hope is that there's introduction of anti-tidget in clinical in routine clinical care based on some of these studies and um, patients' outcomes. So thanks so much. I appreciate this time. Thank you very much, Dr. Patel and Dr. Devar, and thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us. As a reminder, to view the full program, Novel Immunotherapy Approaches Targeting Tidget, Updates and Perspectives for the Oncology Care Team, and to access the additional resources associated with this program from the Clinical Care Options website, please click on the link in the show notes. Also, remember to check back soon for an additional podcast with more discussion on Tidget inhibitors. As always, thanks for listening.